Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello and welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm your host, John Steele. Hey, guess what? I'm still recording this message well before the episode releases in preparation for paternity leave, but barring any unforeseen circumstances at the hospital, it's now guaranteed that as you listen to this, there is a new baby girl in the Steele household. Very exciting. I'm sure that present day me is running really low on sleep already, and that's only the beginning of the sleep deprivation coming our way, but we are enjoying this newest addition to the family. I am confident of that. Hey, let's get into today's episode. This week, we're talking about grad school. Some of you are in it. Some of you are about to start it. Many of you know someone who is, so whoever you are, this episode is for you. I remember my grad school days with great fondness. They were two formative years for stretching what I thought were my intellectual limits to new levels, learning to develop meaningful relationships in a brand new context, and growing in my walk with Jesus in ways that I just hadn't before. And I remember those early days in my first semester of grad school, I felt so out of my depth in absolutely every way. And no shade to my classmates whatsoever in the story I'm about to tell. I love them dearly. I think they know that. I hope they know that. And I think they would laugh about me sharing this insight into young, innocent John in grad school. But I vividly remember sitting around a picnic table, eating lunch with my cohort one afternoon in what must have been the first week or so of our program. Not only was I already realizing how unbelievably smart and talented they all were, But in this moment, I was also learning how vastly different my undergrad experience was from theirs. Most of them went to state schools, one or two went to private universities. Some of them had life experience in between undergrad and grad school, but I was fresh out of a private Christian university that was, oh, let's say, fairly strict in their community standards and expectations. So, as we're having lunch together, they're sharing stories from their weekends downtown and the house parties that they experienced during undergrad, one-upping each other with crazy and very entertaining stories, lots of laughs all around. And then you have me, quiet little Christian school Jonathan, eating his ham sandwich, saying nothing, and praying, please, please, God, let no one ask me to share a story. Because I had absolutely nothing to add to the conversation. Thankfully, no one asked me. But still, I remember feeling lost and so alone, wondering how I would ever connect and keep up with these people who had experienced life in so many different ways than what I'd ever known, and who were so much smarter and more capable than I could ever hope to be. It was extremely intimidating. Thankfully, with a little time, I eventually started to find my stride in class, I found my place in the program, and became really close friends with these people who I'd found so intimidating to start with. And it turned out to be an absolutely amazing experience. Well, today and next week, we're talking about some of these same ideas with a return guest. You might remember Choma, an InterVarsity alumna from SUNY Geneseo and a recent grad of the St. Louis University School of Law. She's going to join us again, and Choma and I are going to chat about some of the tips and tricks that we learned during grad school that helped us have a positive, successful experience. 
And my hope for our conversation today and over the next couple of weeks is that we can help you or the friends you know who are going to grad school find your place as well, and hopefully a little faster than what the rest of us did. So here's part one of my conversation with Choma. I hope you find it helpful. This one's for you, alumni. Choma, welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) Hi, John. (laughs) It's good to see you again. If people haven't listened already before, Chioma and I have had a conversation once already, and we literally recorded it right before this one, even though you will be hearing them probably a few months apart. But this is the magic of what goes on in the editing room. So people can go back and listen to our previous conversation for a more full kind of post-college experience for more introduction about who you are and, and the things that you're doing. But could you just give us a really basic intro for anybody that hasn't had a chance to listen to that yet? Tell us a little bit. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you? Some of those kinds of things. I grew up in New York and uh, I went to undergrad at SUNY Geneseo State University of New York, upstate New York, about 30 minutes from Rochester. Graduated about 07, came on staff for about eight years, and then two years overseas in Japan, link staff. Started law school about three, almost four years ago now. Graduated in 2021 and working as a judicial law clerk right now. And uh, married my husband, and I have two kids, six years old and one, turning two, like in two weeks. That's exciting. So today we're going to dig into grad school or in your case, law school. We're going to talk about some of our experiences with college after college with the next level. And man, is it a whole nother. And I haven't even gone to, you know, PhD. I don't even know what that level's like. I know that our experiences aren't the same, but I think there's enough crossover that we can sort of share these experiences and the people moving on to this next level of education can hopefully benefit from it. So let's jump right in here. Tell me again, where was it that you attended law school? So I went to St. Louis University School of Law and graduated in 2021. Nice. And that was a three-year program, you said? Yes. That's a standard length of time for law school, right? It is. Law schools are doing a really good job right now, though, of being a little bit more inclusive, like families or people that work full-time and want to do law school part-time. So they're like four-year programs now. And yeah, you can be part-time. So I decided to go full-time and, you know, thankfully we could do that. Interesting. I didn't think of this when I was prepping, but I thought of it just now. This is a totally dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Have you ever watched the show Better Call Saul? No, I haven't. Should I? I don't know if you should. (laughs) It's based on a character from the Breaking Bad TV show. He was the skeevy lawyer. It's his origin story. He went to this nobody law school and really busted his butt to become a legit lawyer. But we all know if you've watched Breaking Bad, we know that his end story is making back deals like in the, you know, in the dark corners and working around all of these things. And we know he turns out to not be a good guy. It's always one of those things where I'm interested about TV shows that portray a profession. If somebody in that profession has watched them to know, like, is this even remotely legit the way? that they do these things. It's sort of dark, but it's not breaking bad dark. I think it's just absolutely fascinating. Maybe I shouldn't say this is an endorsement for a particular show. (laughs) Anyways, I'll say it could be interesting to watch. I don't know whether you would like it or not. I will check it out. I'll report back. Yeah, I want to know how you feel about it. So, okay, back to earth here. Very generally, how would you describe your law school experience? 
generally, I would say it was pretty good. At the end of it, I felt good about the work that I put in. I was blessed with just a lot of recognition, awards. I mean, I made some good friends. Like it, it was a good experience. It was very difficult. So the first year, like you'll hear law students talk about, is the most difficult. I mean, it's just like you're basically learning a new language of the law. You're putting in hours and hours. It's graded on a curve. So you don't know what good means. You know, basically, whoever studies the most and whoever puts in the most work and memorizes the most, that's the standard of an A. And the professors are not allowed to give out more than a few A's based on the size of the class, right? So people are competing for the four or five A's in a hundred person class. So, like, the majority of people will get like B's, B minuses. As statistics would recommend we do, like you're actually operating on a normal curve. <laughs> exactly. That's interesting. Experiencing the level of rigor that programs like these offer can be such a shock to the system. And I think on some level, we probably all naturally flounder a bit when we first step into grad school, law school, med school, whatever it might be, as we try to find our footing. But as we go along, we find things that sort of help us adjust and hopefully to thrive. And so I would like to talk about thriving academically. What does it look like to do well academically in your program, to thrive socially in your program? And then also, what does it look like to thrive spiritually in this place where you have so much going on around you? So those are the three places that I'm hoping that we can hit on. Let's start with academics. What did it look like to find things that helped you thrive academically? One thing that comes to mind is, you know, being okay with the fact that you just don't know anything coming in. Just being okay with getting to that point is very difficult. So being able to ask questions, like go up to the professor. There were times where like they always say there's no such thing as a stupid question. I'm pretty sure they were lying in law school. Like the professors would look at you sometimes like, are you really asking me that? Like, or if it was close to finals, like you might be in trouble. But yeah, academically, I would say one of the things that really helped me was kind of sticking to a schedule. So because I already had a kid and then, you know, at the end of law school had kids, I was kind of stuck in this eight to five schedule. And a lot of people gave that advice of just like treating it like a full-time job, like finishing up at night and then being done, you know. And I admittedly did not always follow that, especially during finals. I probably was overworking from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. sometimes. I put in a lot of work, but I think sticking to a schedule is probably one of the healthier things you can do rather than like wake up at 11, go to your first class and then stay up all night like studying. You know, it's like that might work for some people. And, I, you know, I don't want to like discount people's internal schedule. But eventually, most people that graduate from law school will eventually have to be in that kind of nine to five bracket. So you might as well start practicing. That really helped me. I just remember my four years in college. I have set times that I go to class, but from day to day, it's different. So the, my schedule is very fluid throughout the week. And then it repeats again the next week. But then once I went to grad school, like there, yes, there were still opportunities. Like your classes don't always start at the same time every day. But it made a difference when you said like the schedule of my life is going to be repeatable, predictable, because I don't always know what's going to happen today. If I can have a little control over making things a little more predictable, that's going to help my sanity going through my weeks. So my experience in grad school, my professors were very much like there are no sharks in our program. You're not going to climb over your classmates to be the top of the heap here. They wanted collegiality to happen. I'm guessing that wasn't the case for you? I won't 
that SLU, St. Louis University, is probably better than most law schools that I've heard of. Like in terms of collegiality, our professors were amazing. They cared about us. They wanted us to thrive. They never gave off the vibe that they wanted us to eat at each other or whatever. But like law school is literally a ranking system, right? There is someone that is number one in our class. There's someone that's number two in our class. There's literally someone that's number three. And then there's someone at the bottom that's like number, you know, 180 or whatever, right? So, I mean, it's like there is a literal (laughs) ranking system that goes on your resume. As you get farther from graduation, some people take it off, some people leave it on. So everyone is aware of the competition and it's basically what you do with that competition. I think at SLU, they encouraged us to treat each other well, like no professor was really pitting us against each other, but some people had those attitudes, you know, and like you kind of just have to deal with that and you have to learn how to navigate your way through that. You know, that might come up more in the social thriving piece, but I would say the competitive nature of law school and the class rank system is frankly unhealthy for law students. If you don't really know what to do with it, you put your worth in it. I definitely struggled with that of not even wanting to like, you know, talk about my class rank because some people that's like, that would be so high. And it's like, uh, how do I feel about this? You know, to some people that might be like, oh, she's not that high. You know, you just don't know how people are taking the information and you can connect it so much to your worth because you're in that atmosphere. Like everyone is kind of concerned about their class rank, what their job is going to be. That's what you're living and breathing for 12 hours a day. And it takes a lot to take yourself out of that and not let yourself kind of be sucked in by that. It feels like that has influences on the way that you view the people around you of like, can I trust these people? And then I have serious identity questions of who am I? Where is my worth? If I know that my ranking in the class is dropping, then so is is my worth dropping as well. What is this going to mean for the rest of my future and the way that that can have an impact? So I want to acknowledge that our three different things here, our three different circles we're sort of talking about, this is more like a Venn diagram, like there's going to be overlap. All of these are influencing each other. So we might dribble from one to the other here a little bit. But how do you sort of walk alongside that reality of like our ranking is a thing? If you're going to be a lawyer, like to some degree, you are competing with the person at the other table. Like I want to win this case. There are winners and losers in this situation and the stakes are really high. In your experience, how do you manage that in a healthy way? Competition, whether you're in law school or in another place that does kind of encourage competition, how do you manage that in a way that helps you still connect well with other human beings to know where your worth is, but to also know to what level do I engage with this? I do think that there are some very practical ways and things that I did. And then there are also just straight self-talk. I just kind of made it a rule of, I don't think I told anyone in my class, my class rank. I think my husband knows and maybe some friends outside of law school, but I just made it a point not to discuss. And so many people trying to guess and like, you know, and I was just kind of like, I'm just not going to make this a powerful conversation. Like, I'm just going to treat people the way that I want to be treated rather than like being super consumed with what job did you get? What's your class rank? What did you get on this test? What did you, you know, like trying to operate a little bit out of that. So making that choice from the beginning was actually very helpful for me. So practically just how I treated people and what I talked to them about helped me reset my mind. And then the self-talk really is just, you have to take a step back. I guess the other practical thing I did was having friends outside of law school, hanging out with them, reconnecting with them, just 
people outside of the mindset of just completely submerged in grades, law, competition, like all of that, that was also very helpful. With your self-worth, recognizing like this is a three-year period where this feels like this is absolutely everything. That is just not the case. Like this is three years of my life. Even if I don't do well, there's still probably a job out there for me. There, you know, because you just don't know your future. And of course, like hindsight 2020, it's easy to say that now, you know, that I have a job. But I had to kind of intentionally tell myself those things like this is only three years, feels so intense right now, but this doesn't have anything to do with who you are. Reminding myself of my values and the things that I really cared about, I think was really, really helpful. I like that thought of perspective of however long your program is, it's important. So do it and do it well. But there are things that however many years long that is, that it can train your mind to function in a particular way that it just does not need to function for the rest of your life. That idea of constant comparison, that's not healthy anywhere, whether it's in your program, in your job afterwards, in your family, there's no good that comes from making that a central part of what you're thinking about. Exactly. The nature of law, particularly litigation, is combative. You know, like you are competing, like you do have to look at the other side and be like, what are their arguments? Like, what are my arguments? How do I win? One thing I was very surprised by was that attorneys that were in practice and everything, like St. Louis is a very small legal community. So everyone knows everyone. It's just like very connected. And you would just be surprised, like people that are on the other side of each other regularly are good friends. Like they used to be classmates. They treat each other cordially. There are people that just have really good reputations for being really good people. And that's huge. I saw that in law school that it did pay off that I wasn't out there being like, oh, what are your notes on this? So that I can like check your notes to make sure that I have all, you know, it's like you can do that with people you trust. I think it's great to like share notes and study with people people, not in a way of like, I want to see what you have to make sure that I'm good, but I'm not going to share my stuff with you, right? Which is super sad, but it happens. Knowing what that competition looks like, I think is really important. Treating people well, but keeping the competition between like, these are our clients and we are fighting for them zealously, but we can still have relationship and treat each other cordially. Yeah. Whatever frame of reference you go into that room with, whatever your mindset is, you have to be able to step in there and then to be able to walk out the other side and say, we're going to meet each other again. So, I mean, recognizing whatever program you're going into, that many of these people will be your colleagues down the road, whether it's locally or abroad, you're going to run into them at conferences and you are setting the precedent right now for what your relationship with them will look like. You might want to collaborate with them on something down the road. Wouldn't it be great to establish a good relationship now? with them. We're sort of naturally drifting even more into like the social side of things. I do want to ask one more question that I think is more related to sort of the academic side. And that's the idea of imposter syndrome, especially in that first year. But all the time through my entire program, I remember just thinking like, when are people going to find out that they picked wrong? (laughs) Like I was not the one to fill the slot. (laughs) What were some of your experiences with imposter syndrome? What did that look like to sort through that for you? Imposter syndrome, it was just so real. I mean, the day that I got the letter school that I got into, I just remember thinking, wow, they really did not see through the fact that I'm not qualified for this. 
I guess I just, I slipped in. And I truly thought that I was like the only person that felt that way. I was just like, wow, okay, all these other people that actually earned it, they're there. And okay, I'm just going to have to step up, even though I'm an imposter. You know, like I was literally talking to myself like that as if it was just the reality. You know, (laughs) I am such a social person. So sorry that it keeps going back to the. (laughs) That's totally fine. Like we said, Venn diagram. That's right. The social piece, I mean, opening yourself up and talking about that imposter syndrome, right? When I got editor-in-chief, there were people up for that that I respected to the utmost. And I was like, they are much more qualified than me. And so when I got that, I was like, are you sure? You know, talking about that, my executive editor, she'd be like, do you see yourself from the outside? Like, no one else sees you that way, first of all. And second of all, we kind of all feel that way, right? So like, I think so many people that I talked to all felt imposter syndrome, right? So when you talk to someone that you see as amazing and thriving and doing so well, so smart, and they feel like they don't belong there, that's the moment where you're like, is this right? Like, so you feel that way, but you shouldn't feel that way. And they're like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. And you're like, do we all feel this way? You know, and so that's when you start to be like, I did not know that everyone feels this way. If everyone feels this way, that it can't actually be true. It really brings it in perspective when you see someone that you think is so qualified, so smart, so good, and they feel imposter syndrome too. That's what really made me rethink it and be like, oh, I'm not an imposter, (laughs) you know, because logically I really can't be. If she thinks she's an imposter, she's not. She's saying that she sees something in me, so I'm probably not, right? So the opening up to each other about all of us feeling that way is really what put some of that insecurity to rest. And I think it's important for us to remember that when you are stepping into a program, it's because you are there to learn the stuff you don't know, that that program is there to reveal the things that exist that you don't know exist. And some of your classmates know some of those things that you don't know, but you also know some of the things that they don't know. But for all of you, the purpose there is to learn. That's a really good point. If you were there and you knew all of the stuff that you're already talking about, you had all of the skills set that they're teaching you, you're wasting a lot of time and money because you should be somewhere else. So the true imposter in a program like that is somebody who already passed and is just doing it again because they have nothing else to do. That's so true. I think you're leading us really nicely into why being able to thrive socially is so important in these programs in that having a collaborative relationship with your classmates is incredibly important. Ah, yes. Good old imposter syndrome. I know it well. Let me just say a couple things about that. First of all, coming from a psychology background, I feel like I should note that I'm not sure that this is an actual syndrome that's recognized in any official capacity. It may simply be a pop psychology concept that's just widely referenced. I don't know. Either way, there seems to be some sort of shared experience around this that many of us recognize at one time or another in our lives. If you haven't yet, just wait. You will. And if you don't, you're either greatly gifted in confidence, congratulations, or you might have a diagnosable personality disorder. I'd have that looked at. I'm joking, of course, mostly. Uh, Another thing I'll say is that even if you successfully remove this anxiety from your life in grad school, you will most definitely experience it again in one context or another later in life. You'll feel it in a new job or when you join a new team or committee. You'll feel it as a spouse, as a parent really as anyone in a new context with responsibilities or expectations that have been placed on you that really matter. 
And I say that not to belittle the experience you may have in grad school or to add anxiety to other stages of life, but rather to help acknowledge the reality that we often just feel out of our depth at one time or another in our lives. It's normal. What matters is to remember that God put you in those places on purpose and he walks through them with you. So take comfort in that. And as Choma and I already said, you're in this new context to learn. That means there must be a lot that you don't know yet, and that's okay. It's normal. The people who invited you to be there know that, and they're prepared to walk through it with you. Do they expect you to perform well when it's time to demonstrate your knowledge? Of course. But lean into the reality that they understand that you don't know everything yet. So whether it's in grad school, at work, or at home, do the work of learning, but also give yourself the grace of recognizing that you don't have to have it all figured out yet. And that's okay. Thanks, Choma, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. I'm excited for our follow-up conversation. And for the rest of you, come on back next week for part two of my grad school chat with Choma. We're going to talk about navigating your new social context and developing relationships. And we're also going to look at some helpful tools for continuing to develop spiritually. But hey, maybe some of you who are listening also have some advice from your experience that you'd give a recent alum stepping into their first year of grad school in the fall. If that's you, send me a message on SpeakPipe and tell me all about it. I'd love to hear from you. You might even get to hear yourself on the podcast. You can find a link in the show notes or you can visit our page at speakpipe.com slash after four pod. All right, that's it for now. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, thanks for subscribing to the podcast, turning on notifications and leaving a rating and a review if your platform allows you to do so. Until next time, I will see you in the after alumni.